All right. Well, good morning, church. I'm excited that you are a part of not only this weekend service, but you're a part of this chapter of NBC's life. If you call this church your home or you're just kind of checking it out, this is a pivotal, pivotal time for us. We're in a series right now. This is the second week that we're in it. That we're talking about stepping up and stepping out, walking with courage into the next chapter of our church's life. Um, and so you guys are at one of those points that we look back on and we see what God is doing, and, and that we got a chance to be a part of it. Last weekend, we started off the series, and uh, we went through the vision that um, is actually encapsulated in this uh, pamphlet. If you weren't here last weekend, over by the guest hub, they've got these. But we talked about, for the past several years, in fact, well over a decade, we've been in the process of thinking and praying about what it would it look like to multiply. Uh, the reality that we don't simply look at church planting or multi-siting as a space problem, like we have too many people, we need to have another building that we need to send people to, but it's, it's a missional problem if we're not doing it. In the scriptures, we see that, that the early church, they didn't simply gather, gather and grew. They would just, just simply get together and get bigger and big, bigger buildings and have new building campaigns that get bigger and bigger. We saw they gathered, they grew, and then they went. They gathered, it was basically gather, grow, and then go. And they would go to the uttermost parts of this world, and that's why we're here today. Because people didn't simply stay in Jerusalem, they went out. They took what Jesus said, start it where you're at, and then go from there. And so when we're looking at what we want to accomplish in multi-site is, is that we want to step into the Great Commission in a significant way. And we've been talking about how over the course of this time, as we've been praying about where should we be going, Morris was someplace that surfaced. Um, Morris is not the only place that, that needs, uh, needs more churches. There's lots of places that do. It was simply our first step. We have so many people coming from Morris, and we want to reach that community even better. And so that was what led to this. And so we, uh, last week we laid out the vision, and that's in here. So pick up one of these on your way out. Also pick up one of those uh, question-answer sheet, because if anyone hears that reality, that you should have lots of questions. Like, wait, hold on a sec. What, why are we doing this? Like, this makes no sense. Why? And what we tried to do is capture as many of those as we could on that question-answer sheet, but that's not all. We're, we have more questions that we want to help answer, and so we'll talk about that in just a little bit. But in this whole thing, as we've been talking about Joshua 1, last week we asked everyone in attendance to pick up one of these river stones. And what I'd like you to do, and I, have you, did everyone that was here last week, did you take it home? You've been praying? Cool. All right. Definitely do that. Now, we've got more out there. And so if you weren't here last week or you've lost yours already, <laughs> you can go ahead and snag one of those at the same thing over by the guest hub. And then here's the key thing. Bring it back next week. These aren't yours. These are on loan. And so bring them back because we're going to be doing something with them next week. Next weekend, we want to make sure that you're here. Now, one of the things I talked about last week as, as what I'd like to accomplish this week is, was to, to let you know who we're seeing as the campus pastor, who, who we, we feel like God's been bringing to us. And let me just tell, give you a little bit of a journey on that. Um, several years back when we were initially talking about this, there was one individual that we thought, oh man, this is a person that came up through Monoka Bible Church. He really felt the call to vocational ministry at this church uh, through some of our mission trips. And he left his vocational job to go and, and study to be doing church planting, the very thing that we were talking about. And we thought, this guy's, I mean, he's got to be it. I mean, this is just like such a perfect fit. The more that we investigated, the more that we looked into him, we thought, man, he is. He's a perfect fit, but not at NBC. He knows our DNA, but he's just not the best fit for us. And so we said, okay, well, maybe God wants to surface somebody within our church that's like already on our staff. And so we prayed about that. And we got to the, uh, just the end of a brick wall that that just wasn't something that we were sensing God moving in. And then God brought this person. I believe God brought this person. 
Um, and this, this individual is, is somebody um, that uh, grew up in Morris, uh, the very place that we're going to be looking at is somebody that um, went from Morris uh, to Bible college. Actually, should I just show you the picture? Okay, all right. This person, and some of you guys know this person already, this person is Eric Swanson. And if it sounds familiar, it's because Scott Swanson is his older brother who tried his best to shape him but failed, right? <laughs> okay, Eric Swanson is a guy who I remember back um, when he was, when I was doing high school ministries, he was somebody who um, was on all the camps and retreats when he wasn't uh, swimming for Morris, he was on the Morris swim team. But um, he was on all the camps and retreats. He was one that uh, myself and Josh Amstutz, we always had to discipline consistently getting in trouble. Uh, but eventually, he felt like this calling into ministry, and he goes to Moody Bible Institute. I, I honestly don't know if he, was, uh, if he finished or if he was kicked out or uh, what, but I, we were going to check into that. But he is somebody who went through the educational process to train to be a pastor. And after that, for the last 15 years, he's been in different churches serving as a, as a student pastor in small churches and big churches, getting to understand what the different types of ministry, whole, um, uh, just systems and how people do ministry. Um, and so he's most recently, he's serving under actually the other guy that got him in trouble at camps, Josh Amstutz. He's been under his leadership for the past several years. And, and one of the things that was so exciting was, was being able to talk and pray about this with Josh and seeing we think that this is time. We think that this, is God, this guy is someone that it, God is calling into this. And so here's what I want you to do as a church. I want you to stalk him Okay, and I'm going to help you stalk him. We made a secret place on our website where you can actually um, go. It's manukabible.org front slash campus dash pastor where you can read his bio and you can kind of know a little bit more about him. We really should put up Cherry's, his wife's bio because she's also serving at that church as the nursery director and she's done amazing things in that congregation. Um, I, I've been told that just what she's brought to the table just as far as her, her initially her volunteering before she was even on staff is un Unbelievable. Um, this is a major, major loss for that church, but they're excited to see God take the next step in each one of these people's lives. And so on that same page, if you go down, you could actually um, watch and listen to some of Eric's sermons. And so you kind of see how does this guy flow? How does he handle the Bible? What, what type of a teaching style is, does he have? But I don't want you just to stock him there. I want you to stock him next weekend because next weekend is actually going to start the beginning of a process um, of, for the rest of the month of May. So let me just show you a timeline. There, down there on the bottom, May 18th and 19th, Eric is going to be finishing out the service, uh, this series of Step Up and Step Out. He's going to be preaching this weekend, so you could sit in the congregation, you could heckle him from your seats, you can go up to him, meet him afterwards, and I get a chance to get to know the guy. Um, I'm, I'm super excited about him coming down here and getting the chance to meet you. Now, what's next on the itinerary is when that next Wednesday. Uh, which is May 22nd, and that's going to be a church plant, kind of like a town hall gathering. We want everyone that's a member, everyone that's not a member, but just feeling like God's doing something that they want to be a part of, to show up for that and ask hard questions. Again, this nine-part question thing on here, this is good, but this should just be kind of like wetting our appetite to find out more. And so I want you to come and ask questions. And what we, we don't want to just have questions and answers. We want to have questions, answers, and a time of prayer that we can actually participate in together. Now that following weekend is, yeah, thank you. It's, I didn't put it up there because I don't, didn't know. Thanks, Jason. <laughs> 6.30, 6.30, write it down. Wednesday, May 22nd at 6.30 is when we're all going to be there. All right. The following week, which is uh, May 25th and 26th, and Jason, that's Memorial Day weekend. 
Just said, you know, if you've, got, if, you've got, if you've got things going on Memorial Day weekend, awesome. Just show up at church, okay? Be at church because that weekend is going to be an opportunity for you to meet the whole Swanson family, uh, both Eric and Cherry and their kids. And we're going to have someplace out in the atrium, someplace where they're going to get a chance to be there and you can go up to them and get to know each one of them. I'm also um, going to be sharing the pulpit with Eric that weekend. We're going to team teach the sermon that's going to be kicking off our series in the book of Hebrews. So super pumped about that. Now, if you are a member, the next weekend is imperative, or next Wednesday, not the next weekend, the next Wednesday is imperative. That's Wednesday, Wednesday, May 29th at 6.30 p.m. We are having a special all-members confirmation vote for Eric Swanson as the new campus pastor. Now, at our church, we take this really seriously. Some churches, like the lead pastor can go, and you're going to be the pastor. And people are like, all right, and they go and do it. At our church, we really believe like we want to have your ownership in on this as members. And so we have a high threshold of what the quorum is going to be to vote in a pastor. And so for, for the amount of members we have, we have to have 156 members present for that vote to even count. So if you are a member, I need you to mark down 6.30 p.m. on May 29th, Wednesday, May 29th, to be able to go in and have an opportunity for us to have a confirmation vote for that that is significantly important and also an opportunity for you to ask questions as well, okay? So in the midst of all of this, in the midst of all this, this is why we kind of come to this chapter, this passage of Scripture, because we talked about this last week. Whenever you take the purposes of God and you mix the purposes of God with the people of God, you have scary situations. And this is a scary situation for us. We are at, just like, just we, like we have with Joshua, we have us at the Jordan River, that we have a, us at a point where we can make a decision to balk and stay or to, to take a step forward. And actually, when we go back to the Jordan River, one of the cool things that we see in that is this. Last week, we talked about this. This was so freaky for these people, but they had the courage to do it. Why? How, how did they have the courage to do it? And the first thing that we see last week is what God was communicating to Joshua. He was communicating, look, as I was with Moses... As I was with Moses, so I'm going to be with you. And so God, the rearview mirror in a Christian's faith is massive. You, you don't go forward without looking back because by looking back, we get to see God's faithfulness in the past. So that's what on the, on the shores of the Jordan gave them the ability to say, okay, let's do this. But then they had to do something else. They had to take the step. And that actually, the reason that they were able to take that step is not only because of God's faithfulness in the past, but the promised faithfulness of God right now. That's what we're going to talk about this week. This week we're going to actually, this is kind of the whole of the sermon. The promised presence of God, what the presence promised, and the person's response. This kind of sounds like a Dr. Seuss book. The promised presence, what the presence promised, and the person's response. So first off, let's talk about the promised presence. This is something that we see in, right at the tail end of the passage we studied last week. So if you've got your Bibles, please open them to Joshua chapter 1. We're going to get like the tail end verse and if this sounds like redundant, like God is like saying the same thing over and over and over again to Joshua, you, if you're a mom, you know this. I mean, this is what you have to do, right? How many of you as moms are people, you've had to nag your kids and your husbands, okay? All right. How many of you in this room were nagged by your mom or your dad? Okay, yeah. All right. It's not because you did it right on the first time. It's because we don't. Um, this is one of the amazing things about this, by the way. And this is, this is cool that this is Mother's Day weekend as well, because after 40 years, Manuka Bible Church is having a 
baby. And so that, that's kind of a big deal for us. And that's why this is, this is something that's significant. But that's why these passages are so important. Verse 9 says this, have I not, this is God talking to Joshua, have I not commanded you be strong and courageous? Don't be afraid, don't be discouraged, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Let me repeat that. Have I not commanded you be strong and courageous? Do not be afraid, do not be discouraged. Now he's not talking to a whole group of people, he's speaking specifically to Joshua throughout these passages. And he's telling Joshua, pass this on to everyone else. Why? You have Joshua who is a mighty warrior. He knows how to kill people. Not a problem there. But it, God is not just saying, go kill people. He's saying, here's the thing. I'm not asking you just to be a good military guy. I'm calling you to do what Moses did. Moses is dead. And now you're stepping in to lead this people. And for what Joshua was good at, this was out of his comfort zone. I mean, there's plenty of stuff that you're comfortable with. Maybe even just showing up to church is awesomely comfortable. Being here with all these people is awesomely comfortable. But the idea of what we're about to do is like, ah, that's... That's not the norm. I don't feel comfortable with that. And so what, what, what God is saying to Joshua is this. Listen, I know that you're super strong. I know that you're super mighty. But I'm going to speak right to your heart because I know you like what no one else knows you about you. Everyone looks at you like this Rambo guy on the outside. You're a one-man warrior. But I know that you have anxiety. And it's easy to let your anxiety riddle your confidence and your decision-making. Joshua, I know that you get discouraged I know that everyone else looks at you like such a tough guy, and that, that's great because you're doing some good stuff, but I know that the softness inside of you wants to crumble and go into a corner and cry because you don't know what to do. Don't be anxious. Don't let your anxiety ruin you in this. Don't be discouraged in this. Why? Because I am with you now. The reason that he tells Joshua, don't be discouraged, is because Joshua had the propensity to be discouraged. The reason that he told him to be courageous is not because Joshua's a wimp, it's because every single one of us, when we think about ourselves and our own capacity, size things up and feel fearful. And God says, don't. See, what God is saying is he's present in the present. And, and we have to understand the gravity of that. So we understand within theology, within scripture, that God is omnipresent, correct? Omnipresent means what? That God is what? Everywhere. So that's something that, why is God saying, I'm going to be with you? I mean, shouldn't that be like a duh? Like, of course you're going to be with me. You're omnipresent. We have to understand the reality of this ancient people. The idea of God being everywhere was something that was really hard to get their brain around, especially because they had friends and neighbors and people that they've come in contact with where God isn't everywhere. God's in the kitchen. God's in the kitchen because Grandpa Eddie, he carved this God, our family God, and so we put him, there's our God. If I want to spend time with God, I go by the fridge. There's God. When I want things to go right with the crops, I bring food around my God. I, I actually pray to my God. If the house burned down, God forbid, the God that we had might have to be recarved. And all of a sudden, we see the God of the Bible saying, listen, no, that's not how I roll. That's not who I am. These are false human-carved gods. I'm not human-carved. I'm not someone that you could shape or pick up or carry. And then people are like, but we just want to know where we can find you. How do we know where we find you? And so you see God making this amazing consolation. I am everywhere, but I'm going to help you. I'm going to give you training wheels of confidence by knowing that you can find me. There's like the, the, the Ark of the Covenant. We've seen Raiders of the Lost Ark, yes? The Ark of the Covenant. And on the top of the Ark of the Covenant, between the angels, will be a significant place where you know my presence will be. I'm omnipresent, but you can know specifically that you can, and, and, and that's going to be in the tabernacle. It's going to be in the Holy of Holies in the temple. Like, I'm everywhere, but you can, you can know that I'm there, there. 
Now, here's the amazing thing about this. God is promising them something significant. We know that within the Trinity, there's God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Throughout the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit is not someone indwelling everyone. Meaning, if you're a believer, if you're a follower of the one true God, that doesn't mean that the Holy Spirit is indwelling you and actively working within every single person like we see in the New Testament. We see the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament kind of like special ops. Kind of like a situation where God's doing a mission or a movement or he's doing something, and the Holy Spirit would specially anoint and empower somebody. But it wasn't permanent, and it wasn't for every single person. We see this in David. When David um, has, a, has his adulterous affair with Bathsheba, he freaks out, and, he, and he's broken once he's confronted about it. And, and he, so he starts to process his, his, just his anxiety about it and his, his shame about it in poetry, because that's what David did. And we have recorded in his psalm that he writes after that this, this amazing statement that illustrates this. He says to God, he says, God, his father, please do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Why would he say that? Because he knows that he was only specially anointed by the special ops of the Holy Spirit to do this leadership of being the king of Israel, but that could be taken away. What is God saying to these people as they're crossing the Jordan? I am empowering this action. I'm empowering this movement. You can know that I am a part of this. This is anointed. The the Spirit is with you. My presence is with you. And that gave him the confidence to do it. But you want to know what's super cool? We can't relate to that. We cannot relate to those people. You know why? Because Jesus promised something better. Jesus promised his followers, before he, he, after he rose from the grave, he promises his followers, he says, listen, I'm going back to heaven to be with the heavenly father, but I'm giving you someone, I'm sending someone even better. I'm, I'm sending someone just like me, and it's going to be better for you. And this is why. Because this Holy Spirit will indwell you Everyone who's found in Christ is indwelt with the Holy Spirit, meaning this, God's presence has taken sanctuary inside of every believer that's a follower of Jesus and will not be taken away. Special ops just got millions of new members. Everywhere you go, you're bringing the sanctuary of the Holy Spirit with you. What gives you confidence? Because God is present in the present in me. Amen? And that is something that gives us the confidence to continue step for, stepping forward. That's the promised presence. We see it even more specific as we get into the passage a little bit more. Because what, what the presence promised is this, is that right now, okay, God is present. But right now, you, you can know this. You can know that God is communicating this to Joshua and his people. I am with you through the inevitable external physical conflicts. You're going to be doing something that's going to have conflict. My presence inside of your life is not going to be like this is a conflict-free ride. That's just a joke. That's not reality. You will, every time you follow me, you're going to have conflict, but I am going to be with you through the inevitable external conflicts. Check this out. This is cool. In chapter 3, we're going to skip over chapter 2. Chapter 2 is where they, before they cross over, they send spies into Jericho. And um, they, they actually um, link up with, with communicating with, with the, this prostitute named Rahab who says, listen, I've heard stuff about your God and I'm on, I want to be on team Hebrew, okay? Let's, let me be on your team. And they said, okay. And she becomes part of the family and it's, it's amazing. And so she was the inside person inside of Jericho. And so then all of a sudden they get the confidence to go over. God is with us. And then we see in chapter three, starting in verse nine, this. Joshua said to the Israelites, come here. And listen to the words the Lord your God has said. 
Verse 10, this is how you will know that the living God is among you and that he will certainly drive out before you the Canaanites, Hittites, Hivites, Perizzites, Girgashites, 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 Amorites, and Jebusites. See, the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of all the earth will go into the Jordan ahead of you. What do we see happening here? Listen, I know you people want to know that I'm present with you. Guess what's going to go first? My presence. It's going to be right there with you. My presence is going to go with you. It's going to go before you. And you can have the confidence that I'm going to take, because, and the people are like, listen, we have a major physical barrier. We have this Jordan River, and it's at flood stage, which is basically like late April, early May in Illinois. Okay, it's massive and raging and flood stage. And like we have a physical thing in front of us right here. And as soon as we get over this physical thing, we're on the other side of the shore and then we have another physical thing. We've got a bunch of people with sharp things that want to throw them at us. We have all these external issues. And God says, okay, I want to tell you something. I am the God over every single physical reality, over every atom that is out there, every, every, every physical reality, whether it's the water or it's the people on the other side. I am the God over all. And here's how I'm going to show you that I'm going to do that. I'm going to send the ark first. Verse 11, see the ark of the covenant of the Lord over, over all the earth will go into the Jordan ahead of you. Now then, verse 12, choose 12 men from the tribes of Israel, one from each tribe. And as soon as the priests who carry the ark of the Lord, the Lord, and again, he repeats it, the Lord over all the earth, every atom, every physical reality over every person, that God, as soon as you set foot in the Jordan, its waters flowing downstream will be cut off and stand up in a heap. And all of a sudden, these kids and grandkids of the earlier generation are like, wait a minute, I've heard this story before. Where was it that a people group following the one true God came to a physical blockade of water and didn't know what to do because they were toast and God said, I want to show you that I'm greater than the physical realities of what you're seeing. And took water and piled it up. When did that happen? The Red Sea. With the same guy that God told Joshua, as I was with Moses, so I'm going to be with you. So now Joshua is like, <gasps> and all the people are like, <gasps> it's happening. Like we heard stories about this. We didn't know if they were like totally like, like making it bigger than it was. But look, it's actually happening. The water is peeling back. And what is God saying? I am pulling back all of these to let you go through. Is it still precarious? Absolutely. Does it still freak us out? For sure. But I'm pulling them back. Here's the cool thing about this with what we're doing. Anytime we try to take steps of obedience to God, we have conflict, external conflict. Like, you're going to have conflict with logistics, political issues, people issues. Those are going to be there. In fact, I would say this. This is super cool. Last weekend after the service, we had so many people coming up to us that heard about what's happening in Morris. They're like, I'm excited. I'm super excited. I'm stepping up. I'm going to, like, fill in gaps here. I haven't served before, but I'm stepping up. I'm going to be here. Or I'm stepping up. I want to be a part of the launch team and go out, stepping out. And, and people are so excited. I mean, I'm sure... Not everyone was excited. There was probably some people like, this is the dumbest idea I've ever heard. And then they went to Arby's and had a full stomach, and they're like, oh, it's okay. And, but whatever the case would be, all of us that, that are, were getting excited, whether you're hating on the idea or you loved it, the truth is, is that when we do it, there will be problems. Things are going to blow up in our face that we didn't see. Things are going to go wrong and sideways and fall apart. Things that we thought we had our ducks in the row about and logistically ready for are going to go the opposite direction. 
things, problems will happen. They will. What makes us unstoppable? Realizing that God is with us through the inevitable, inevitable external physical conflicts. When they happen, and they will happen, we will be ready. But that's not just it. Not just God promising to be in the work that he's doing through the inevitable external physical conflicts, but also he's with us through the inevitable internal spiritual conflicts. Um, One of the things that we see um, all throughout scripture is this reality that since Adam, we've had this curse. I mean, we we give Adam lots of props because he's the first creation, first human. That's great. But he's also where sin came into the world through. And with, with Adam, we have this, this reality that the curse is there. So when, when we're looking at, when I'm not just dealing with the external junk in my world, I'm also dealing with the internal junk from Adam, the curse of sin, being a rebel of God. And, and I, I feel so often disqualified because of things that I've done and things that I've said, either in the present or even way in the past, the curse of Adam. But listen to what happens in chapter 3, verses 14 and following. So, when the people broke camp to cross the Jordan, the priest carrying the Ark of the Covenant went ahead of them. Now, the Jordan is at flood stage during harvest. And again, it doesn't say like Illinois, but we know that that's in the context. Yet, as soon as the priests who carried the Ark reached the Jordan and their feet touched the water's edge, the water from upstream stopped flowing. It piled up in a heap a great distance away at a town called, wouldn't it be cool if they actually gave us the name of the town? Like, I mean, that, I think that'd be kind of interesting. I mean, it might not mean anything to us because it's an ancient town. I don't even know if it's still around, but wouldn't it be cool if they did? Verse 16, the water from upstream stopped flowing. It piled up in a heap a great distance away in a town. Wouldn't it be awesome, though, if the town's name was not just listed? Because, I mean, I guess if, you, if you're just listing a town, what's the point of that? I mean, it might be cool for people to fact check it. Like, wait, did this really happen? Or, or what? And then they can go back to that town and actually, you know, investigate and say, oh yeah, it actually happened. That would be cool. But what if the name that was given wasn't just a name, but it was a significant name? Verse 16. The water from upstream stopped flowing. It piled up in a heap a great distance away at a town. Wouldn't it be awesome though, if it wasn't just important, but it was like, at, see, this is why you should have your Bibles open. You could already know the answer. <laughs> wouldn't it be awesome if the town actually carried with it for Hebrew people a spiritual significance that the reason that it was recorded was actually in part because of the fact, not only did this town exist, but it actually was part of the storyline of what God accomplished through this kind of people, a broken people who simply needed God. Verse 16. The water from upstream stopped flowing. It piled up in a great, uh, piled up in a heap a great distance away at a town called Adam. In the vicinity of Zarethan, where the water flowing down to the Sea of Arabah, that is the Dead Sea, was completely cut off. So the people crossed over opposite Jericho. The priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stopped in the middle of the Jordan and stood on dry ground while all Israel passed by until the whole nation had completely crossed onto dry ground. Now, I don't know if this is why God was doing that or why that's listed, but I think it's, ins- I think it's amazingly significant at what God is communicating to the people in spite of that. God is telling a people, I'm going to dial back all the physical, atomic realities all around you just to let you know. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be pushing this to give you way on over to, so that all the external conflicts are dealt with. But you know what? You could have all the external conflicts dealt with in your world and you could still chicken out and be on this side because of the internal conflicts. 
the stuff that goes all the way. But let me show you how far back I am peeling back so I'm, to make it possible for you to go from where you are to where I'm calling you to be. I'm going to peel this all the way back to Adam. I'm going to peel back this opening all the way back to the very sin curse itself to let you know that in spite of that, in spite of your brokenness, in spite of your propensity to wander and rebel against me, I am still making a way and my grace and my power for you to get from where you are to where I want you to be. Folks, one of the things that will keep you on the sidelines in this next chapter of our, our church's history is your own self-disqualification. You will talk yourself, I, I'm, I'm never surprised at the human, my own ability to talk myself out of the most important things in my life. I will talk myself out of the most important things in my life. But the truth is, is that what God is communicating in this passage is this, that he is the God. He is the Lord over every atom and over every atom. He is the God over every atom and every atom, every physical, external problem and every internal problem that we have because of sin, because what he accomplished on the cross says, I work with broken people. And it's my strength and my power, not yours, that's going to pull this off. And that's, that's what we see each and every time. So, what is our response? It's a choice, and it's always been a choice. The people on the side of the Jordan have, had a choice. Their parents and grandparents had a choice too. And they had the choice, are, are we going to reduplicate history and do exactly what they did, or are we going to step out differently? And, and the choices are, are, the, are two. One, we have the same choice, by the way. We have a choice to let God's presence condition our confidence or let our fears condition our confidence. Let our insecurities condition our confidence. This isn't just with the church plant. This is with following God in any way, shape, or form in your world right now. We have a choice to let God's presence condition our confidence or think that we are still at the wheel and still in control. What is going through your mind that's giving you confidence or insecurity? My brother-in-law, um, Mark Muha, he's uh, training for a marathon, which I don't know why you would do that. But as he's running, he's not normally a runner. He's learning things about running. And this is some of the things that he's listed out. These are his rules for running. The first mile always lies. Uh, and if you've, if you've ever run, you know that's true. The first mile, like, I can't do this. This is ridiculous. I'm going to die. And then you get past the first mile and you realize you didn't die, which is a bonus. You always have one more in you. Your plan knows your goals, but you know your body. The distance is more important than the speed. Know, the place, know your place on the food chain. Always yield to vehicles, faster runners, and geese. Run the mile you're in. Hydration isn't optional. Focus on the why. Time to run is made, not found. Be grateful for each step. And as he put this out there, he said, I need, I need music. Because even though I've got these rules, as I'm running, I'm talking myself out of this. I'm like, this is the stupidest thing. Why am I doing this? I should just go back and eat a burrito. Hot pockets are calling my name, Right? And so he said, I need, I need music. Give me music that challenges you, that, that stokes you up. And so like a bunch of people were giving him music to have a playlist that he could run with. And so I sent him a couple of songs from my playlist because I, I like to run, not like that crazy running, but I, I like to run too. And I also need motivation for the momentum. And so my, my running music is like one part worship music. Like I'll listen to something from Hillsong United that just, again, is reminding me of the presence of God as I'm running. And, and like, I love that. I need a little Rage Against the Machine. That gets, gets me angry because that helps me for whatever reason. And then I kind of like finish it off with a little Little Mermaid. Um, and so this is, this is because that Little Mermaid is when it's like, it's, there's a happy ending to this story, right? And so this is kind of like the, the catalog of my running motivation. Similarly, the presence of God operates with us in this type of a movement, what we're talking about in this series, similarly. We also 
are operating with confidence that comes from knowing that God is present. We're also operating with a little bit of rage, though, a little bit of anger, because we're not simply doing this because this sounds good, like a good idea for Manuka Bible Church. Planting a church and a multi-setting church has a lot of good bonuses, but it's, it's the opposite of sounding like the right thing to do. It sounds like the difficult thing to do. The reason that we're doing this is out of anger. We're angry about the fact that there's people that don't know Jesus. We're angry about the fact that we could be doing something in a community that we're not. And that rage needs to lead us into action. But we're doing so with the perspective that we have a God that says he's going to finish all things. He is going to complete all things. And the reality is that there's not one single choice of obedience that is wasted in his economy. So we step into it that way. The last choice we have is this. We have a choice to join God in what he's doing or not. We have a choice to join God in what he's doing or not. Throughout human history, there have been a handful of people, literally a small percentage of people, who've joined God in the work that he's doing. Everyone else has missed out. Millions and millions and millions of people have missed out because they've sidelined it because they didn't feel like they were qualified or they, or they didn't feel like they were the right person. Which makes sense until you read the Bible. And you see that again in chapter 2, they include Rahab, the prostitute, who is a key instrumental individual in spite of her past, a key instrumental person in the fact that they were able to obey what God wanted them to do. God used that. Folks, no matter what is going on in your past, when you surrender to Jesus, all of a sudden he gives you new hope. And I want to challenge you with this. God uses moments like this to call people who felt like they had no business doing something great to do just that. God used moments like this to call people who felt like they had no business doing something great to do just that. A year and a half from now, there's people that are going to know Jesus that don't know Jesus today because of the obedience of this step. And I'm so excited about that. But I'm equally pumped about the fact that there's people right now in our church who feel like they have nothing to offer. I'm just here because my wife comes. I'm just here because my husband comes. I'm just here because I'm getting a free lunch out of it. I'm just here because I, I like the services, but I don't really do anything because it seems like they've got everything handled. But for you, to be a part of the people that are stepping up into places of ministry that are around this church as we're sending out that many people, 175 to 200 people we'd like to send. We'd like to see people step up into roles right around here and for people who are choosing to step out. God uses moments like this to call people who felt like they had no business doing something great to do just that for his glory. We want to bathe this in prayer. And so at the end of every service in the series, we're spending some time in prayer. And the first thing I'd like for you guys to pray about is this. Before they crossed over the Jordan, they consecrated themselves they got themselves set apart spiritually right with God before going. Ask God to renew you. Ask our Heavenly Father for forgiveness of unconfessed sins and spend a couple moments right now doing real business with God. Please do that right now. Bring before him sins that are secret to everyone but you and to him. attitudes or perspectives that have kept you at arm's length from him. Be specific. Scripture points out the holiness of God, but it doesn't say it's the holiness of God that draws us to repentance. Scripture points out the wrath of God, 
but it doesn't say it's the wrath of God that draws us to repentance. I love that scripture says that the thing that draws us to repentance is God's kindness. Confess your sins before a God who loves you and welcomes you back, who pulls you up, who restores you. Secondly, go ahead and ask God to restore in you joy from being rescued from sin by him. One of the things that, that David, in that poem, after his adulterous affair, that he writes to God is to restore to him the joy that he had about being rescued from, from, from his life by God. God is a, a rescuer. And when you realize that, you have joy. And you might have had joy back when you first became a Christian or maybe you had a key turning point in your faith and right now you just feel like you're flatlining. Ask God to restore to you the joy from being rescued from sin by him and ask him that now. Ask him for a joy that motivates obedience because it puts everything else in perspective about where your ultimate fulfillment comes from. Thirdly, ask God to restore in you. Actually, ask God to help you engage with him throughout the week in prayer for those without Jesus in our area to give you new eyes for the lost. Not normalizing being away from Jesus, but sensitizing yourself to the fact that they don't know the hope that you have. Spend some time praying for those people by name that you know from your work, from your school, from your neighborhood, from your family. Do that now. Pray for people that it would be a straight-up miracle if they completely surrendered their life to Jesus. Pray for them by name. And ask God, there's a way that you could be a part of sharing your hope, that he will give you the words and the confidence to do so. Finally, ask God to give you clarity on how you can be a part of this mission. Is God calling you to be someone who's going to step out in faith, whether you're in Morris or not, into the, that launch team? Or is God calling you to step up in your faith here in the Manuka, at the Manuka campus in some way? Up to this point, you've been on the sidelines, but you're, you know that God's calling you to step up Ask him to give you clarity on what he wants you to do. Please stand as we finish our prayer time. Lord Jesus, as we stand before you, we're a people that have nothing to show for the reason why you rescued us. 
we're incredibly grateful for the fact that you've taken the broken pieces of our life and instead of sweeping them under the rug or throwing them away, God, you've gathered them together and you've formed this amazing stained glass window where the sun can shine through, where other people can see the beauty that only an artist like you could pull off with broken people like us. Lord Jesus, I pray that you empower us with confidence to turn our heart over to you, to turn our life over to you. That people who are far from you will see that and hear that and come to you and that you'll get glory from it. And we will give you thanks for this. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going to finish our service with a song um, that again, we're going to be praying out through this words of this song. Let's do that right now.